<clears throat> Hello? Is this thing on? Hello? Anybody there? Welcome to Rapid Real Estate Radio. Prepare to be entertained and educated by expert interviews, real-life anecdotes, and pro tips. All designed to help you get started making money in real estate as fast as possible. Your host is a real estate investor, licensed broker, and coach who has helped thousands of new investors complete their first deal. Here's Gavin McCaleb. Hello, America. Welcome back to Rapid Real Estate Radio. It's your friend Gavin. Glad to have you. Today we're going to discuss a factor of the real estate world called the appraisal. It is an appraisal. That's what it's called and that's what it is. And to begin with, I want to put forward a story, a hypothetical. Let's say you have purchased your first fix and flip. You just spent the last two or three weeks getting all the garbage out of it, fixing it up real nice, getting all the new appliances installed, getting all the landscaping looking nice and beautiful. And, you know, you've just had sweat and tears and deadlines and budgets and all the different things that are associated with real estate. And the day has come. It's time to put the home on the market, find a buyer. So however you're doing that, if you're using a licensed agent, if you're doing for sale by owner, if you're doing networking or Craigslist, I don't know, lots of different ways to sell your properties. But in any case, you're ready to sell the property and that first weekend, a bunch of buyers come through and somebody makes an offer. Great, you think? I'm going to start counting the money. Hold on, friend. I would recommend that you wait for just a minute. My policy is to never count the money until it actually arrives. And so what happens is you accept the contract. And the buyer loves the house. They can't wait to move in. And then they are not the kind of person that's buying this house for cash. They're getting a loan. So as part of the loan underwriting process, yeah, of course, the individual has already been pre-approved or pre-qualified. They have income. They have a good credit score. But what happens during the underwriting process is the lender orders an appraisal. An appraisal is a form of valuation. It's a valuation report that helps the lender decide whether they should make a loan on a certain property or not necessarily whether they should, but whether they should and how much. And so in other words, the lender ends up deciding how much they think the house is worth and how much they're willing to loan. Many times those numbers coincide. So the purchase price and the appraised price go hand in hand. You're good to go. But my friends, I hate to inform you that sometimes they don't match up. Sometimes the appraised value is less than the purchase price. What do you do then? You're asking, what should we do? Well, that's what we're going to cover today in today's episode. We're going to discuss what happens when appraisals go bad. And honestly, just to get all my disclaimers out up front, this is not to bag on appraisers. They do a good service and they're a necessary part of the industry. It's sort of a form of checks and balances to make sure that the lender understands what loan they're you know, going into on a, on a certain house. They understand the value and they can protect their investment. I get it. I'm not criticizing that aspect of it. But, some, but in some cases, appraisers can be like a little Napoleon. And in this case, not Napoleon Dynamite that you're thinking of. From Idaho, which is where we are here at the recording of this podcast, 
I'm in Western Idaho. Napoleon was in Eastern Idaho. That's actually not even what we're talking about. I'm not sure why I'm still mentioning it. Napoleon Bonaparte is the uh, was the emperor of France. I'm not sure. This is not a history podcast. But in any case, he actually wasn't as short as you guys are thinking he was. Someone made a pejorative joke about it, and somehow it stuck. And now it's a stereotype. But I think that he was quite typical height for that time period for a grown adult human male. That's not that's not what we're talking about today either. Sorry. What we're talking about is the, the, the idea of a little Napoleon, or in this case, a dictator, somebody who's going to come in and, and short-circuit your deal because they want to be in power. That's what I meant when I said the appraiser is a little Napoleon. Now, this is few and far between. I'm sure most of the appraisers you deal with will be not only skilled and competent, but reasonable as well. Sadly, they will not all be, and here's how you will have to address that situation. So here's a case study that comes out of Pueblo, Colorado. Pueblo, of course, being, I believe, a Spanish word for town. And so if you are Spanish and you live in Pueblo, it might be a little confusing because the name of your town is town. I don't know if they have, do they have cities in Mexico named town or city? I don't know. I guess this is not a Google search. This is just the top of my head. And so Pueblo, Colorado is the name of a town. It's also the word for town. And we had, I had an investor down there relay this story. They had their home fully re- rehabbed. Renovation was beautiful. House looks great. Buyer came across. Really loved the house. Wanted to move in and came to an agreement on the price. The listing price was $169,000. $169, the agreed upon purchase price, the purchase contract was also $169,000. And after going through a VA appraisal, so the VA, Veterans Affairs, is a type of a loan program in which the government agrees to, to guarantee the loan or a portion of the loan, the majority of it. And so it has its own set of underwriting criteria because of this extra guarantee, it's actually an advantage to a lender to do a VA program because the lender still makes the loan, but the VA guarantees it, or again, uh, a portion of it, the majority of it. And so the VA appraisal came back and it came in at $155,000. So you, you guys who have a, a good short-term memory will remember that the purchase price was 169000 and now the appraisal is 155000 a shortfall. In other words, the bank will not make the loan at the, at the purchase price. And so what I'm going to cover here in the next few minutes is some of the alternatives and scenarios that are possible. What could be done in this situation? Now, before I get to the answers and the solutions, I'm going to give a little bit of background on the appraisal process, the FHA and the VA aspect of it. So, again... One of, the, one of the biggest hurdles, the obstacle with this, is the way that a VA appraisal works is they get, when they do an appraisal like this, they assign it a case number. And the case number is associated with this property. And so for me to say, oh, this, this appraisal is too low, I'll just get rid of this buyer and find another buyer. That is one of the options I'll go to in a minute. But I want to point out that a VA appraisal will stick with the property for six months 
And so any other VA buyer, even if it's a new buyer, you never met the other person, when they go to apply for their VA loan, because of the case number, the appraisal will already exist in the system and it will be a restriction. It will be subject to that appraisal, just like the first buyer was. It's the same with FHA. If an FHA buyer comes, gets an appraisal, it doesn't match the purchase price, part of the conundrum that you're now under is that if you kick this buyer away and say, well, let's try another buyer, if the new buyer is an FHA buyer, then that case number will carry forward and that appraisal will still be in the file and will still be blocking a higher purchase price. Now, the good news is there's there's not overlap. So VA will essentially earmark for VA for six months, but a new FHA buyer could come in and get a new appraisal. Same thing if, if, if an FHA appraisal is on the file already, a VA buyer would get a new appraisal. So VA six with VA case number, FHA six with FHA case number. And a conventional loan is not going to respond to either of those. Now, of course, a conventional appraisal could still be this issue as far as the value not lining up. But those are three different systems, VA, FHA, conventional. Okay? And uh, additionally, if you do get a conventional appraisal and it doesn't meet your criteria and you boot them out or you mutually agree not to continue, I guess is the correct PC version. Sorry, guys. I didn't mean to trigger anybody by saying booting them out. I don't know if that's a trigger or not. But in any case, a new conventional buyer could come and get a new appraisal. Okay, so here's here's our options. We go back to the purchaser and say, dang, this is a disappointing eventuality. You wanted to buy the house for $169. I wanted to sell the house for $169. The only thing stopping us is that you're not going to be able to borrow enough money to do that. So here's our options. Number one, the quickest and easiest scenario is they can just come up with the difference in cash. So that's easy if they have the cash or if they can find it. So that's the first question. Do you have the difference? So in this case, we're talking about a $14,000 difference. Do they have $14,000 extra dollars to contribute? If yes, that's the decision they have to make. Would they like to borrow the 155 or or actually if their appraisal is 155, they're actually not going to be able to borrow probably 100%, maybe, but maybe 2 or 3% less than that just depending on whatever parameters are of that particular loan. And so, so that's always a cash question. Do they have the cash and are they willing to pay that much extra? Because a lot of times an FHA or a VA buyer is doing those programs because they require a low down payment and they may not have it. So the first scenario is they come up with the cash. You explore that first. Second is maybe they can finance the difference. Do they have a credit card? Do they have another person willing to do a, a private loan? There's a chance that I, as the seller, part of this money is going to be my profit. I might consider financing a second mortgage. So instead of $14,000 cash, maybe I write a $14,000 second mortgage. They owe me that money and we record it against their property. They make installment payments and there's a balloon probably within a couple years. Maybe they get to refinance. But that's a decision that I would have to make. Am I willing to finance them and carry back uh, owner financed second in this case? Uh, another scenario, 
this is the third scenario or scenario C, depending on if you like, you know, alpha notations versus numeric. You can just sell it to someone else. You can go back to the person and say, listen, I'm super sorry that your appraiser didn't see eye to eye with us. I still believe the house is worth 169. And so if you don't want to pay the extra in cash, I just can't sell you the house. And then you shake hands, you say, good luck to you, see you later, maybe a hug, if it's appropriate. Certainly, each person has bodily autonomy over their own uh, personal entity, whatever. Don't hug somebody that doesn't want to be hugged is really part of the takeaway message from this. But again, if you believe in your heart that there's a, the value is there and this is just a freak appraisal, then that's one of the scenarios. Now, scenario four, letter D is you can you can discount the price. So when all said and done, if you say 169 and they agree, they get an appraisal for 155 and they say sorry, I don't have any extra cash. I still really want the house. You can always agree to discount it. That's available. That's part of the scenario that you can discuss. And then you have to look at your opportunity cost, which is okay, if I take it at this lower price, I'll cash out and I'll get my money. But if I do that, I'm going to miss potential upside. In other words, I won't be able to sell it for a higher amount. So that's a decision you'll have to make. Now, letter E or number five is sort of a combination of these. So you could discount a little bit and maybe they can come up with some cash. Or maybe I can discount, they come up with some cash and I also finance some. So instead of a $14,000 difference, maybe they agree to pay $3,000 in cash and I agree to discount the price $5,000 but I also carry a $6,000 second. I think that equals three and six is nine and five is 14. I think in this case, the math is consistent. But do you see how I did that? I pieced together three different scenarios. How much cash do you have? Okay, well, I'm willing to give a little bit on the price, but I don't wanna give it all away. So I'll take your extra cash, I'll finance the other 6,000 and I'll discount the 5,000. Whatever I said the first time is what I meant to say. But do you, you guys see how that's a a uh, combination of the different scenarios? So I would like to point out another sidetrack that exists. So there is a way, if, if you're really close and the appraiser appraisal is not quite up to the purchase price and there's no extra money and you don't want a discount, there is a way to challenge the appraisal. There's a, a formal process they call it a re reconsideration of value or the ROV. Of course, everything in both military and finance has to have a, a, a cryptic acronym. So the ROV is a reconsideration of value. And in which case, you can provide comps as long as they were not used in the original appraisal. So in other words, I'm going to bring new comps to challenge the value. So that's one way I can do it. The other way you can do uh, an ROV is what they call evidence of errors. I don't know if they call that EOE. That's what it would be, but in, but I just know that it's evidence of errors. In other words, if you look at the appraisal report and you see that something on there is substantively wrong, that's possible. Did they did they get the square footage wrong? Did did the square footage of some of the comps not fit within the necessary range? Usually it's within a 10% variance. So if I'm at 1500, I can go 150 plus or minus square foot. Right, and that's just one example, not necessarily the only variance that exists. 
But if I can demonstrate that there was an actual error in the appraisal report, they will reconsider the value. So that does exist as well. So while I'm discussing some of these loan products and the appraisal process, I do also want to go ahead and give a bonus. And that is, hey, many of you heard about, have heard about what's called the 90-day flip rule. If you haven't, you have now. It reminds me of those radio ads that say, chances are if you've heard of mesothelioma, you your life has been devastated by it. And so I always say, well, why would you tell me that? Now I've heard about it. Is my life devastated? I don't know. The point of this is that I just told you guys about the 90-day flip rule. The way the 90-day flip rule is this. Certain lenders have a restriction about making a loan on a property that has been owned for less than 90 days. In, in essence, it's specifically geared against flipping. And I sort of understand the underlying premise, which is they're concerned that you're escalating the price artificially. Well, I always always have a strong case that I'm not, that I'm actually charging a fair market price and that's why there's an appraisal and that's why there's comps but even above and beyond appraisals and comps they add in this 90-day flip rule and so that is at least as of this recording is still in effect in FHA right now it's August of 2017 stuff like this is subject to change at any time and sometimes it's enforced sometimes it's not but in in the case of a new FHA loan you can't enter into contract until you have owned the property for 90 days, then the next day you can enter into a new contract and you're good to go. Now, I don't want to get into all the weeds here, but there is there are some variances that are possible. But for the most part, that's going to be a challenge. Now, the, there's no 90-day flip rule directly from the VA. However, because the VA is an overlay and there's an existing lender who also has underwriting criteria, the lender itself may have some kind of provision. So again, that's not a law necessarily. Lender to lender, they may have internal policies. Same with conventional. If you're out there getting a loan, some lenders don't care. Some lenders prefer not to do a a resale within 90 days. And so it's a case-by-case policy. And, And so the pro tip here, tucked in within all these little tidbits of knowledge and information that I'm sharing today, It's a great episode. Wouldn't you guys agree? Each of you nod your head up and down and say, yes, sir. Sorry, that was weird and creepy, but also a little awesome. So the pro tip is to be upfront and proactive with your buyers. Somebody shows up. They're super excited. They love the house. They want to buy it. You want them to buy it. Great. You let them know if the time frame is less than 90 days. That way, when they go to get their loan lined up, If they have the ability to qualify for both FHA or conventional, maybe they'll go choose the conventional route because the FHA will be a stumbling block. Or if the only buyers that come to your open house or that make an offer are FHA buyers, you may just have to plan to stick it out for more than 90 days. So that's what I usually do. I I always build my time frame to account for that, even though it doesn't happen every time. I want to know that I can survive that. If I have to wait the full 90 days and then sell the property, I, I can't be unprofitable. So the biggest thing here is carrying costs, financing charges, anything that's accruing more as I hold the property. And so I usually try to build it in for four or five months. That'll give me a chance to address that potential 90-day restriction. So again, that pro tip was to 
have an open conversation with the with the buyers. What kind of financing are you getting? Just so you know, here's the time frame. Be aware of that. If that means they can't make an offer, I'd rather have them move on to something they can purchase and maybe leave me available to a conventional or a cash buyer. So friends, that's the episode today. Hopefully you found some value. And if you want to go back and review some of the subtleties of the appraisal process, that's what a recording is for. You can go back and listen to it like literally right now. You can just restart it again. And before I close out, a couple last thoughts. Um, this is a, I, I believe this is a motivational thought. I guess you'll decide how motivated you feel after it. It says, don't let anyone rent space in your head unless they're a good tenant. You're the landlord of your mind. Evict any idea that doesn't serve you. So, of course, literally, you're not, there's not a human renting your head. I hope not. I don't, I don't want to get into all the different weirdness you could do. But, it, but if, there's, if there's a thought, a worry, something in your mind that's causing you distress, you are the landlord of your mind. You can evict that thought, whether that means replacing it with a new thought or just banishing it and saying, no, I'm not going to dwell on that worry or that concern. Hopefully, you guys can uh, evict negative thoughts and only invite wonderful, uplifting, motivating tenants into your mind palace. Well, with that said, you guys, if you like this content, I would appreciate you sharing it with your friends. You can go to rapidrealestateradio.com to find more information about learning how to get started investing in real estate as fast as possible. And of course, if you guys are interested in conducting any real estate transactions here in the southwest corner of Idaho, the Boise area is what we call it, I am a licensed broker and available to serve your real estate transactions. With that, I will see you on the next episode. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Rapid Real Estate Radio. Please remember to subscribe and tell your friends. Have a burning real estate question you need an answer to? Visit rapidrealestateradio.com to submit your question and to find out how you can get your rapid start in real estate.